we're going to get ready to, to jump into the message now. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can go to Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 is where we're going to be. We've got a lot of cover today, but uh, I'm going I'm to tackle two things before we get into the message. So these have nothing to do with the message, but I'll just go ahead and tackle them. Um, I've mentioned, you guys have heard me joke the last couple of years. Kevin, you called me out on it. I thought, I thought I saw Kevin in here somewhere. But anyway, yeah, there you are. And I thought you called me out on it. You know, I've been, there's a shirt I've been waiting to wear for 15 years, and I haven't had the opportunity to wear it. Well, I discovered Friday of this week that it's gone. I don't like, I got rid of it at some point in a closet cleanout, and so I did the best I could. This was as close as I could get. This is more like Texas orange, but it was as close as I could get. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention before we jumped into uh, the message was I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something that I said I was scared to do last Sunday. If you were here last Sunday, I mentioned this, uh, just an offhanded comment, and I said I was, I was scared to do that. And then I went home and I thought, that's silly. I shouldn't be scared to do that. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to uh, rip the Band-Aid off right now. <clears throat> thank you. Thank you. Um, these are my readers. Okay, and I don't, I don't wear them like that. I wear them like this. So uh, my kids make fun of me and say, don't wear them on the end of your nose, Dad. You look, you look like an old man. Don't do that. Don't do that. And I tell them, babe, that's because I am an old man. And I tell them to stuff it, and I hobble off to bed at 930 in the afternoon. Um, so <laughs> but these are actually not the first pair that I've ever had. The first pair I had were like Santa Claus-type glasses, and, and they were wire, and they, they folded up, and you could put them in your pocket. And it, the, the girls made so much fun of me about those glasses. And one night we were over at the house, and the Hughes were over with us, and uh, they were making fun of me. I was, I was looking at them with my phone. I had those hanging off the end of my nose, reading on my phone. And Rachel Hughes said, give me your phone. And so I handed her my phone, and she goes, you got an Amazon app on here, don't you? And she opened up Amazon, and she scrolled through, and she found me some glasses, and she said, here, I bought you a new pair of glasses. And I'm like, that's a friend. A friend on my account, she bought me a new pair of glasses. So this is what she bought me on my account, and that's a true friend right there. So I'm going to use these today just a little bit, and yes, I will take them on and off an annoying number of times, and if I make a significant point, I may look over them like this right here. Uh, so it's a brand new day of preaching at Mer. I feel like I got a new tool in my arsenal today uh, as we're preaching. So we are in Romans chapter 1, and this is, you know, last week was the introduction to the letter. It's hard to make introductions to letters exciting and interesting. Uh, I did the best I could last week. But it's, it's important to do an introduction because you need to know who wrote it and why they wrote it and who they're writing to and all that kind of stuff. But today, we really dig into the meat of the letter. And we're going to start in um, verse 18. And I, I even brought my big boy Bible today. So, I mean, I just I want to use the scriptures today because we've got a lot of stuff to cover. So, starting in verse 18... And uh, we're going to go all the way through chapter 2, verse 11. And I'm just going to teach through the text and see where it takes us here. So in verse 18, Paul says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Now, 
This is a, an abrupt turn that Paul takes if you follow where we've been. He, this, this introduction, the first 18 verses of this introduction is all like, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. I'm hoping to see you soon. I'd really love to come visit you guys. Grace and truth in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I mean, everything is all like kindness and, and niceties, and Paul just can't wait to see the Romans. And then in verse 18, he takes this abrupt turn. All of a sudden, like, the wrath of God is coming and, and you're all in trouble and you don't have any excuse. And when you're reading this, there's got to be a little bit that you go, where in the world is this coming from? Like it, it's like a friend calling you up, a long lost friend calling you up. Hey, how you doing? I hadn't talked to you in a while. How's everything going? Oh, things are good. How are things going to you? Things are good. Listen, I just wanted to tell you, I know what you've been doing and you're going to hell. Uh, I mean, because that's where Paul goes next. I mean, that's the, 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 he just jumps out in the letter and starts talking about the wrath of God and how nobody's got an excuse and how we're all in trouble. And then he starts listing it all throughout the rest of chapter 1. Okay, so listen to this. Starting in verse 21, he says, Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, of the immortal God, for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. I have no idea what the amen's for. I mean, it's, it's like he starts to sound like a hellfire and damnation preacher because he starts going through this list. He says, the wrath of God is coming, and the reason it's coming is because look at what they have been doing. And you notice the language. It's very intentional language here. He keeps talking about they. And all through chapter 1, he uses they. And he says it multiple times. There's at least 10 different references to they, them, or there here. And he keeps saying, he's like, they don't glorify God. They are futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts are darkened. They exchange the glory of God for idols. They exchange the truth of God for lies. They are, foolish of godness. They are full of godlessness and wickedness. Who is they? That's the first question I had studying this this week. It's like, who? Because all through the first chapter, it's they. Look at what they are doing. Look how bad they are. Look how wicked they are. He keeps referring to this. Now, they is not immediately obvious to us. But to the first century reader, it would have been immediately obvious who they was. Because he's giving specific examples for a specific reason. So his original audience would have known exactly who they were. I don't even know the right English on that. But he, he, they, they would have known who the they were. Now, I'm not going to reveal it yet. Because I'll, he's not done talking yet. And now he's going to move into a list. So after describing how godless and immoral they are, he's going to give a list of all the ways that they are godless and immoral. And, and Paul loves to give lists. If you're familiar with his letters, he loves to give lists. And a couple of things about his list. One, uh, his lists are not intended to be exhaustive. Okay, so when Paul gives a list of things, he's not intending to include everything in the list. Like when Paul gives a list of the qualifications of an elder, he's not intending to include all the, everything in the list. It's just examples of, of what his point is. So he's, these, are, these are just some examples. These are not all the examples. Two, Paul's lists are not intended to be the main point of the passage. But we have a bad habit of making them the main point of the passage. So whenever Paul puts lists in there, most of the time... The lists are like examples of the main point. The main point is verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven, and here's why. But we tend to 
we tend to elevate Paul's list, especially when he does list of sins. We love to elevate list of sins uh, to the main point of the passage. The third is that Paul's lists are not intended to be uh, controversial. But they almost always are. If you think about a lot of the things that we fight about in Christian circles, uh, a lot of them have to do with things that Paul includes in his list. For example, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even the women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. And men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, I'm going to stop there. That's just the beginning of the list. That's not the, that's not the whole list. That's just the beginning of the list. I'm going to stop right there because I feel like it deserves a little bit of explanation. And this was one of the reasons um, that one of the reasons I was looking forward to Romans was that we weren't going to talk about anything controversial on Romans. Like, and you guys know, if you've been at Murray Hills long enough, you know that I don't, I don't mind preaching controversy. Like, I, I, I don't, I'm not scared to tackle controversial topics. There's probably some topics I shouldn't have tackled because people left over those topics. And that, but, I mean, we, we will tackle controversial topics. We will deal with the tough stuff. But that doesn't mean that I always enjoy it. Because it takes a lot of work and effort, and you know that whatever you say, not everybody's going to agree with whatever you say. And so, so I don't enjoy preaching controversial. And, and when I was looking at Romans, I was like, hey, we're going to be in a textual series through the rest of the year. We're going to be in a textual series all through the holidays. We'll be in a textual series leading in, and it's Romans. I mean, Romans, it's faith. It's grace. It's baptism. I mean, it's Romans. There's nothing controversial in Romans. I totally forgot about this part of Romans. Um, I mean, totally, I promise. I, like, it just hit me like a thunderbolt. Like, I forgot that was in the first chapter of Romans. I, and, and the reason, you know, it's so controversial is because these verses, 26 through 27, are verses that uh, evangelical Christians love to quote when the topic of homosexuality comes up. I mean, this is, this is one of the go-to passages um, that Christians go to. And... Uh, Paul is, is taking a negative view here. There's, there's no way, if I'm interpreting what Paul's saying here, uh, he's taking a negative view of it right here. Um, there, he's taking the Jewish view, and this is, we'll get into this in just a little bit here, but he's taking the Jewish view, which was rooted in creation and the law of Moses. And many of you know what the law of Moses says there. So he's, and he's comparing and contrasting that to a Gentile view, which would have been more open and accepting. And he's clearly taking a negative view and, and, um, and saying it's wrong. But what he's not doing is saying, as a lot of Christians would have us believe, that it's the only thing that he has issue with. It's just one example that he gives in a list of examples. And I think in the past we've kind of made mistakes by making it the only example and making this all that Romans chapter 1 is about. Uh, this is not all that Romans chapter 1 is about. And if we keep reading... Um, all of us are eventually going to get caught up in the things that Paul is saying here. So let's keep reading. Paul says, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they ought not, uh, so, that, so that what ought not to be done, they do what ought not to be done, I'm sorry. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness. Now, again, who's they? Who are we talking about here? Who's the they? They become filled with every kind of wickedness, with evil, with greed, uh, murder, 
depravity. I mean, at this point, people would have been following along with Paul and going, that's right, you tell them, Paul, we need some good old-fashioned preaching, Paul. You tell them, you know, this is wrong and we got to do something about this. And you tell them, amen, Paul. They're full of envy, amen, and murder, amen, and strife, and deceit, and malice, amen. They are gossips. Whoa, now, wait a minute. (laughs) Whoa, 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 now. That's not fair. I mean, are you actually going to equate gossip with murder uh-uh no 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 that ain't fair at all uh-uh you are you actually going to equate envy with malice or um oh no uh slanderers i'm reading ahead sorry slanderers god haters i'm probably okay there uh insolent arrogant sometimes uh boastful it could have picked a better Sunday than after the Tennessee game. Um, they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. <laughs> That's in the list. I mean, I mean, like we're reading this list of all this. T- it was supposed to be envy and and evil and greed and depravity and murder and deceit and malice and disobedience to your parents. It's like what? In the, where are you go? I mean, that's you're. It's totally getting ridiculous at this point, and it's completely unfair. I have no trouble with you, Paul, pointing out the sins of other people, but please do not get into my sins. I have no trouble with you talking about they because they are immoral and they are godless and they are doing wrong and they 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 they. I have no trouble with that but please do not make this about me. They have no understanding. They have no fidelity. They have no love. They have no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. They are in trouble. Now, at this point, Paul almost sounds like a politician running for office because you know that in order to win in today's environment, you got to identify a good they. Whether you're running on the right or left, you got to identify a good they because you got to identify they are out to get you. They are out to ruin this country. They are out to take away your rights or they are out to indoctrinate your kids or they. you got to have a good they to be scared of. And if you're going to be a good preacher, good hellfire and damnation preacher, you've got to have a good they because that's how you get amens. You've got to be talking about the they and pointing that finger, and that's how you get amens and head nods. And in my opinion, that's exactly what Paul wants to happen at this point in the letter. This is a setup. Romans chapter 1 is a setup for his Jewish audience because they're listening to the letter, or they're being it's probably read aloud in the churches, and they're listening to this letter, and the Jewish people in the church would have been at that time going, he's exactly right. It's good. I'm glad Paul's standing up for this. I'm glad somebody's talking about this. He's, he's exactly right, because that is exactly what all those Gentiles are doing. Now, when I said the they, we keep asking who's the they, who's the they, the, the Jewish believers in the audience would have known who they was because the reason that Paul chooses the list that he chooses is he's choosing what would at that time would have been a common Jewish diatribe against Gentiles. He's giving examples that would have been, I could do this right now, uh, but it would probably get me in trouble, but I could give examples politically and you would know exactly which side I was talking about based on the examples I give. 
without mentioning their name. And that's exactly what's happening in Romans 1. He, he, didn't say, he didn't say, I'm talking about the Gentiles. He didn't come right out and say that. But he's given examples about idolatry and lying and sexual morality. And he's given these examples. And the Jewish believers in the audience would have known exactly who he's talking about. And they would have been nodding their heads along with him and going, that's right, Paul. You tell them that's exactly right. These Gentiles, we've got to do something about these Gentiles. I'll tell you right now. And so they would have been going right along. He, I mean, by the time he wrote this letter, he's been preaching for 22 years in churches comprised of Jewish and Gentile believers, and he knows what Jewish believers feel about Gentile believers. Now, it may not be as bad as it was in culture. They may have been a little bit closer together, but many of the Jewish believers still felt like they were just a little bit better than the Gentile believers. They were just a little bit more righteous. They were a little bit more moral. They were a little bit more put together. They were a little bit closer to God. They were a little bit more mature. They were a little bit, like, they would, they would have had this sense that they kind of, they were doing it right. And these Gentile believers, well, they may be believers, but they're not quite doing it as good as we're doing it. And so Paul has set them up for what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. And, I mean, the, the Jewish believers, they loved a good day just as much as we love a good day today. I mean, they do. I mean, we love to quote Romans chapter 1, verse 26 and following. We rarely get to Romans chapter 2, verse 1. And that's because in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, Paul changes the pronoun. And he stops talking about they, and he starts talking about you. Notice this abrupt shift right here. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. I mean, all through chapter 1, it's been they. They are doing this, and they are doing this, and they are doing this, and they are doing this. And it's amen, and that's right, Paul. You go get them. And then all of a sudden, he flips it around. He says, but who do you think you are? They have no excuse. You don't have an excuse either because you do the same things as they. You're doing the same stuff. And even if you're not doing the same stuff, you're judging those who are doing that. So your judgment has led to your condemnation in the same way. Chapter 2, I mean, verse 2, he says, Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet you do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for his riches and kindness and forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Now at this point in the letter, Again, this is being read aloud in the churches. At this point in the letter, I would think the Jewish audience has, there's no more amens. You know, like it's gotten quiet. And, and they're in the minority here. You may get some Gentile amens at this point because Paul has completely flipped the script. We, he, he described they and everybody's saying, and we know exactly who that they is. And now he's flipped the script and he said, you're not any better. You're not any better because your hypocrisy and your self-righteousness and your condemnation has in some ways you may be worse because you're doing the same things and yet you had the law. That's where he's going to go next week. I don't want to get too deep into that. But I mean, you're do, you had the law and, and you were doing the same things. And he takes them to task and he keeps going here. Verse uh, 5, he says, Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath. And you notice this. Listen to this language, how he shifted it. You are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each course person according to what they've done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil 
there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. And I think this is interesting because this, is, again, is intentional language. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The Jews believed that they were the first. They were God's chosen people. They were, they were the righteous. So even as, you know, I know we're all one in Christ and all, like Paul said in Galatians, but we're still just a little bit better than the Gentiles. We got it a little bit more together than the Gentiles, and we're certainly better than Gentile culture at large. I mean, we're certainly better than what's going on in Roman culture. And you guys think American culture is tough. You think American culture is immoral. I mean, we're certainly better than that. But Paul is saying, no, you, you are the first. You're first in sin. I mean, he, he completely flips this around on them. And the point is very, very easy to follow here. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, Paul makes it clear that the Gentiles are lost. And the Jewish readers would have said, yep, they sure are. That You're exactly right, Paul. And then in Romans chapter 2, Paul makes it clear that the Jewish believers are also lost. And they may have been going, now, what did we do? Why? What did we do? We're not doing all the things that they're doing. What did we do? And he attacks them for their hypocrisy and their self-righteousness and their judgmentalism. And the point in Romans chapter 1 and 2, and we'll see this when we continue in chapter 2 tomorrow. It actually takes them a long time to make this point. The point is there is no one who is righteous in the eyes of God. There's no one. I don't care if you say, yeah, but, but I mean, their sins are, are way up here and my sins are like down here. It doesn't matter. There's no one who is righteous, not even one, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Whether you've been a believer for 35 years or you're not a believer, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's his point right here. Uh, I've always liked this little graph. Can you throw that up for me, Andrew, if you don't mind? Uh, I had Scott recreate this for me. And I've used this before, but uh, if you think about a, a bar graph, that one on the left is the side view of a, like, a, like a bar graph. And you look at the bar graph, that's kind of how we see sin. We see some sin's really bad and some sin's not that bad. And, and, and usually the stuff that's really bad is the stuff that they are doing. <laughs> and the stuff that's not so bad is the stuff that we are doing. Like, that's the way we see it. Like, our, our sins are not that bad, uh, but their sins are really bad. And that's kind of the way we see sin in these varying degrees. The top view is if you were looking down at the top on the bar graph. And that's how God sees sin. Now, this is not to say that all sin is equal because I don't, all sin is not equally damaging. I think we all understand and know that. I mean, murder has more damage upon our lives or other people's lives than, than gossip. So I, I, don't, I wouldn't go to say all sin is equally damaging. But in terms of it separating us from God, all sin is equal. All sin equally separates us from God. It, hypocrisy is no different than sexual immorality in terms of separating us from God. Gossip is no different than murder in terms of separating us from God. And, um, and that, this, this is all Paul's trying to say here. Paul's trying to give us the bad news. And that's all it is right here. This is the bad news. And the bad news is we're all lost. We're all messed up. There's no one who's perfect. There's no one who has it together. There's, there's, we all, and, and Arch Warren used to say, and I don't know who he got it from, but I always quote it, um, 
until you understand the bad news, you can't understand the good news. And I would, I would add just a little bit to it. Until you appreciate just how bad the bad news is, you can't really appreciate just how good the good news is. Because as long as you think, well, my sins aren't that bad, my stuff's not that bad, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit closer to God than them, then grace doesn't hold as much power for us because we don't really think we need it as much. And what Paul's trying to drive home here to his Jewish audience in the first part of here is that you need grace just as much as your Gentile brothers and sisters need grace. We all need grace. And I think we tend to do this as, as Christians. You know, if I was trying to apply this to today, I would take chapter 2 and put, you know, like Christians in chapter 2 and put culture in chapter 1 because we love a good they. And we, whether the they is Hollywood or the they is media or the they, whoever the they is, we love a good they and talking about their agenda and what they are doing and how they are coming after us. And, and if we're going to understand what Paul's saying here, Paul's saying, you are no better. You are no better. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck of sawdust from your brother's eye. That's the message of Romans chapter 1 and 2. We're all lost. We all need Jesus. We're all a bunch of messed up sinners. And um, we need Jesus. So... um, If you've never accepted him as your Savior, if you've never confessed that you believe in Jesus and been baptized into him, um, that opportunity is available. I mean, this is the bad news. We're talking about the bad news day. I'm going to get to the good news, but I'm kind of following Paul to get to the good news. So we're going to get to the good news. Don't worry, it's coming. But uh, the good news is that Jesus saves and Jesus declares us righteous even when we're not righteous. And so uh, there is an opportunity to respond to that today. If you've never been baptized into Jesus or if you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's an opportunity to respond to that today. And I'd encourage you to use the cards. They're on the seat in front of you. If you're watching online right now, you can direct message me or Ebony or um, or, because she's probably on there right now. Or um, you can use the cards as well. And you just fill out that card and just write us a note and tell us, you know, Mark, you know, I'm I'm ready to, to be baptized into Christ or just Write down whatever it is that you want to do, and um, we'll follow up with you this week, okay? Let me pray for us, and uh, I've got a couple of announcements. We've got giving and a couple of announcements, and uh, then we'll be dismissed. Okay, so let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for uh, what your word says, uh, even when it's hard to hear what your word says, because... um, we tend to always focus on the they instead of we. And we tend to always, as long as we feel that our sins are a little bit better than somebody else's sins, we tend to feel good about ourselves. And what you clearly teach us through your word there is that we are lost without you. And um, we're all messed up and we're all broken and uh, we're all sinners. But because of what your son Jesus did, we can be made right again. And we can be made righteous again. And because of what your son Jesus did, uh, we can have the promise of eternal life. We can receive grace and mercy and forgiveness. And it's through your kindness and your patience and your forbearance that you, you give us those things. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for uh, what you have done for us through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.
If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.